1: Um, well, there's no evidence that uh, Nelson's life spiraling out of control was directly related to Daniel McCullough's death, but uh, the turn of uh, the course of his career in the next year shows uh, that there's some sort of correlation, if not
0: a direct causation. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Mark Anderson discussing the tragic events at Fort Ann, and he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Small Battle Series, with two new releases, The Battle of Musgrove's Mill, 1782, by John Buchanan, and The Battle of Harlem Heights, 1776, by David Price. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Mark Anderson. And he'll be detailing a tragic accident that's little known at Fort Anne. We often discuss the heroics of war in history. We often talk about the glorious deaths or the amazing achievements. But one of the realities of combat, as much now as it was in the 18th century, is that sometimes people die by accident. Does it make their death any less glorious? Does it make them any less committed to the cause? No. No. But these things do happen, and sometimes they get lost in the longer stretch of history. Mark Anderson will detail an event about that today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Mark Anderson. Mark Anderson, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, Brady. It's wonderful to have the chance to talk to you and the uh, podcast listeners again. Tell us about your background. Uh, uh, Okay, so um, really I am a... Specialist in uh, Canada and the, the Northern Theater in the American Revolution, lifelong history reader, undergraduate history major. While I was doing my master's in military studies as an active duty Air Force officer, I really got uh, immersed in the, the topic of the Canadian campaign and the American Revolution. What I thought might be an article turned into a book, and now it's become multiple books, and it's really where I've uh, set up my historical home.
0: Mark, what first drew your interest into this topic?
1: I came across uh, this event, a, a tragic accident at Fort Anne in Canada, west of Montreal, while I was doing research for my third book, uh, Down the Warpath of the Cedars, Indians' First Battles in the Revolution. And I thought it was a very interesting little episode. But as I was working on that book, I found that it just didn't really fit in. It, it took up too much space to tell in that story. So I thought it would be a great o- opportunity
0: to, to tell it in a, a journal article. How did you first encounter this event and what did the newspaper say about it?
1: Uh, the um, In the research uh, for that book, I uh, came across a digitized version of the Daughters of the American Revolution's American Monthly Magazine uh, that had the journal of Reverend David Avery in an article published as uh, the Northern campaign. And it was really an interesting perspective on the story of the campaign, uh, the Cedars campaign that took place in Canada in 1776, because it was from the perspective of a chaplain who was involved with a lot of what the officers were doing, but wasn't actually in the battle. And so he kind of had a, uh, some distance and perspective as things were uh, evolving. So it was a very important source. Um, I didn't think a whole lot of it uh, after the first time kind of building into the story, but then when I was doing some research at the Society of the Cincinnati, uh, there was an orderly book of the 1st Pennsylvania Regiment there that gave a court-martial account of, a court of inquiry account of what was looked into after this accident where uh, Captain John Nelson accidentally shot one of his uh, men while trying to discharge his rifle. Um and the original magazine version had left a blank where the officer's name was, Captain John Nelson. But then I came across the second source and it clearly spelled out who the captain was that was involved in this accident. And uh then I went back and found the original manuscript of the David Avery Journal and it had the name spelled out as well. So I discovered that not only was there this interesting story. But that the editor of the uh, American Monthly magazine had, for some reason, decided to edit out who actually had accidentally discharged a rifle and killed one of his soldiers. I saw it as an opportunity to kind of tell a story in two sources and and address some of
0: those uh, historians' challenges. Why do you think the 1901 newspaper was so vague?
1: I do. There's really no indications in the source. Uh, Catherine Avery was a high official in the the Daughters of the American Revolution. I don't remember beyond being an editor exactly what post she held at that time, but she was kind of moving amongst the the top ranks of of the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution at the time. Um, Probably very sensitive to uh, fellow members. Um, So descendants of the person who accidentally fired the rifle and killed one of their soldiers might be sensitive to the incident, so she might have chosen through discretion to just leave it blank, since it wasn't a key element of Reverend Avery's journal and didn't really affect what else it was telling. It just kind of covered up the uh, person involved in this accident. Um, The only other time that uh, Catherine Avery left another spot blank in her journal or didn't include a line, was a discussion of an ambush that happened in part of the Cedars campaign where the original mentioned that no officers were uh, killed and she removed that part. So again, maybe indicating uh, that she took out anything that might be sensitive and uh, might have some negative indications towards uh, participants in the revolution that their descendants might be sensitive about.
0: Mark, what do we know about John Nelson? So. uh, actually, I know very little about Captain John Nelson,
1: much less than I would like to. Uh, part of that is just accepting the limitations of being a Revolutionary War, War historian who lives in the Rocky Mountains and uh, has primarily digital access to, to sources for uh, a smaller project like this. Um, but piecing together bits and pieces, the uh, best I could find was that he may, perhaps was born in 1745 um, perhaps lived in Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania. Um, But where the the details start to come together is in 1776, he uh, asked permission from the Pennsylvania Committee of Safety safety to raise a rifle company. That was uh, granted. And then uh, that company was offered to the Continental Congress as a force that could go to contribute to the Canadian campaign Uh, that was uh, going on early 1776. So 30th January, 1776, his company gets assigned to uh, the Northern campaign and he uh, embarks to go off and join that campaign with his company.
0: What took the Continental Army into Canada?
1: That a very complicated question. Uh, My first book, Battle for the 14th Colony, is really uh, heavily focused on that. My subtitle in that is America's War of Liberation in Canada. where I really make the argument that it was, uh, they saw Canada, the Continental Congress and the Northern colonies saw Canada as a population that was being oppressed by British government and British military. And that if the Continental Army could just go north and drive out the British, that the Canadians would uh, almost certainly uh, come with open arms to to join the Continental Congress. there are also defensive concerns that are a very big factor um, with the colonial wars, basically uh, a century of raids from the north and, and the French and Indian War, actual invasions, uh, the threat of Indian raids. Um, so all those things were uh, a player as well. But looking at the, the decision makers uh, and what they used to gather support was really that the Canadians were fellow colonists. And uh, they, they would be probably very eager to join the cause if just given the opportunity. And reality, of course, didn't prove out, uh, to be quite that way.
0: What do the sources say about the accidental discharge incident?
1: Okay, um, so kind of setting the scene, Captain Nelson leads his uh, company of Pennsylvania riflemen up through the uh, Fort on Lake Champlain. Uh, they go north on Lake Champlain into the Richelieu River that leads into to Canada, really the uh, the pat, war path in the, the Northern Theater. And they join the Northern Army at a post on the, the confluence of the Richelieu River and the St. Lawrence, where the American Army has retreated from Quebec City and is kind of holding its ground, figuring out what it's going to do next at this place called Sorel. And while they're there, they uh, hear that, there's another threat to the American army in Canada. Uh, The the force up in the Northeast, outside Quebec City, had ran in retreat when new British uh, reinforcements came from across the Atlantic. And now there's this long-anticipated, but yet the manifest itself threat from the West, the Great Lakes region, of small British forces and Indian forces that has appeared, um, threatened a, a place at Fort Cedars, uh, kind of a uh, choke point on the St. Lawrence west of Montreal. And uh, the, they suspect that the Fort Cedars has fallen, but they definitely want re- reinforcements to come and try to protect Montreal from the west. So the 1st Pennsylvania Battalion or Regiment uh, under John Philip De Haas uh, gets sent to go uh, as reinforcements for that threat from the west, and Captain John Nelson's company gets attached to that Pennsylvania regiment. So they go. Uh, off to the west and join this campaign. The British and their Indian allies have gotten onto the island of Montreal, come close to Montreal, but as Benedict Arnold gathers forces, uh, it's clear that they're not going to break through that wall. And so the British and Indian allies start retreating. And Captain John Nelson's story leading to this accident really comes as he's part of that army that chases the British and their Indian allies off the island of Montreal and sets up a camp at uh, the westernmost point on the island at a place called Fort Anne or Fort St. Anne or Fort Sennefield, or Centerville. Um, and so it's referred to as Fort Anne or Fort St. Anne in the documents. Uh, the night that, the, that Benedict Arnold and his men get, the Americans get to the western end of the island, they do make an attempt to go attack the British, but never land and they take some fire from the shore come back and um, start planning for how they're going to attack the British and the Indians the next day. But in the middle of that night, a British officer comes to arrive, uh, offer a prisoner exchange cartel and a ceasefire. Um, the Americans are very concerned because the Indians have threatened to kill the four or 500 American prisoners of war they have that they've captured at Fort Cedars. And so that definitely plays into Benedict Arnold's thought process as he decides to accept this prisoner exchange cartel and ceasefire. And the accident at Fort Ann happens the day after this ceasefire. So there's no immediate threat of hostilities, but that next day as captain Nelson is um, clearing his uh, rifle, he has an accidental discharge and uh, kills one of his soldiers. Um, I'll just go ahead and read what the court of inquiry said. To kind of spell it out, it it captures it uh, and agrees pretty much with David Avery's journal uh, that uh, Captain John Nelson, having liberty to discharge his piece that was wet, it hung fire upon which he lowered his gun in order to prime it again. And it went off unexpectedly to the captain and accidentally killed the said Daniel McCullough, who was one of the privates in Captain Nelson's company. Um, Interesting things about that. first thing I, I, that caught my attention was that he had liberty to discharge his rifle which to me implies an authorization and having read lots of these order orderly books there's a common theme of there's a, a discipline discipline problem where soldiers are firing their muskets when they're not authorized so that was i thought was an interesting piece was that he was had liberty to, to discharge his rifle but the thing that i can't answer is why his powder was wet and not being a a uh, Weapons expert, Uh, I don't know all the nuances of of why that might be, Um, as I thought through it, uh, possibly do, because there were significant uh, temperature changes, but there were no indications of precipitation in the previous couple days. Uh, Possibly it got wet while he was out patrolling, even though there was a sea star going on, but we just don't really know um, why his
0: powder was wet and why he was trying to discharge his rifle at that time. What is the fallout for McCullough's demise?
1: Uh, so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there was a court of inquiry. Uh, Colonel De Haas, the, the 1st Pennsylvania Regiment Commander, calls for this court of inquiry. Um, several junior officers from outside the regiment come to assess what they know about the facts and essentially conclude that it was just a horrible accident. Um, David Avery notes in his journal that uh, they buried uh, Daniel McCullough, presumably in the area of Fort Ann. Uh, and his funeral was decently attended. So um, it was it, it, there was some ceremony to it and some uh, official action taken. But then it uh, gets uh, overcome by events as within the next week or two, the Continental Army starts its withdrawal out of Canada uh, that's going to be over by the end of June.
0: You say Nelson's life spiraled out of control. What do you mean by that?
1: So what we know from
0: the the primary sources um,
1: is that uh, Nelson and his company were back in Fort Ticonderoga, uh, Crown Point area, uh, for a couple months. By mid-August, he appears to be bored or wants to do something else. So he writes to the Continental Congress asking for permission to take his company uh, to the Pennsylvania frontier. And perhaps it was that he thought that was a better place for his company to be employed. But he's showing some restlessness. Uh, and then by the time we get to November of 1776, he abandons his company in the Northern Theater because he hasn't been given a, a approval to take it elsewhere. His troops still have uh, their enlistments continue on into February of 1777, but he leaves them in November. So, you know, three months left on his company's uh, tour of duty and he, he abandons his company because he's going to go just enlist another company for the 1777 campaign in the 9th Pennsylvania Regiment. So he's off doing recruiting in Pennsylvania, uh, Maryland, uh, and and trying to gather this new company together. Does eventually meet his men as they filter down from the north to give them their discharges in March of 1777. Um, And that closes out his uh, independent rifle company's existence. He's working on this new company for the 9th Pennsylvania Regiment and then uh, there's many different hints about what happened Um, and put together they show that he uh, at some point in 1777 essentially sold the enlistments of some of his men to another regiment. So he enlisted uh, a company but then sold off the enlistments of 31 of those men to another regiment instead of keeping them within the 9th Pennsylvania Regiment. Um, Alexander Hamilton uh, coincidentally happened to write on this uh, whole sequence of events. He called it a complicated business, uh, which you know pretty accurately covers what is in the records. As a result, John Nelson was cashiered from his position as a, uh, a captain, so he was no longer serving. But then, curiously, Colonel George Nagel of the 9th Pennsylvania Regiment, kept him under arrest for what would have been the the term of service of his new company. So into the summer of 1778, Captain John Nelson is under arrest. And then he kind of disappears from the records. Uh, As
0: far as I was able to dig, there's really nothing else
1: about this particular Captain John Nelson uh, and what goes on with his life.
0: How does this article help us understand the Revolutionary Era better?
1: Um, Well, there's no evidence that uh, Nelson's life spiraling out of control was directly related to Daniel McCullough's death. But uh, the turn of uh, the course of his career in the next year shows uh, that there's some sort of correlation, if not a direct causation. So this story that's really built from uh, just two primary source accounts shows how minor incidents and accidents in uh, personal lives during wartime can ripple through in ways that aren't necessarily going to be spelled out in the documents, but we can put together by by looking at the, the bigger story of what's going on. So while I normally emphasize the importance of the primary source documents, they have their limitations, and a historian has to help build along that.
0: Mark Anderson, thanks again. Thank you very much, Brady. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin MacLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.